Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. All right, listen, I know what you all are waiting for, and it's not for me to preach. So here you go. This is Harper. So this is Harper Michael. She was born on September 17th, which is actually like the actual one-year anniversary of Collective, uh, which to be honest is just super weird. Uh, Mom and baby are doing well. We're slowly figuring out what it's like having two kids. Exhausting. Um, Here's one more picture. So yeah. (laughs) Her big sister, Elise, is so proud. She keeps calling Harper my baby. So she's like, my baby, take care of my baby, feed my baby. And we're like, well, this feels demanding. Um, okay, one more. There you go. That was our child. So I, I know that most of you would be super content with just like cycling through baby pictures the whole time. But no, we're not going to do that. Those are your three. All right, so I've got a sermon to preach. Let's do this. Last week, CT stepped up to preach so I could take the week off and spend time with my family. We actually got to go to Collective for the first time, like show up at 1030 and like come in here and sit. It was super weird. Um, So I'm glad to be back up here. Uh, But ultimately, CT kicked off this series for us, uh, this three-week series called DNA. And the big picture of this series is this. There are three things that are core to our DNA as a church. Collective worship collective community, and collective engagement. Engagement is the phrase that we use when talking about time spent in our community. It's less about serving and more about engaging our city and the people who live in it. It's loving our neighbors. And so for us, this is how we filter what we do. This is how we know we're staying on vision as a church. This is how we make decisions. If someone comes up to us with an opportunity or an idea and it doesn't fit into these three, we just don't do it. It's our strategy. And it comes directly from Jesus. When reading the Bible and taking a step back to look at how Jesus lived his life, we see that Jesus had three main rhythms, time with God, which is worship, time with his followers, which is community, and time engaging and meeting the needs of people outside of his community, which is engagement. This was his DNA. This was in his identity. And so Jesus focused on these three elements. And so for us as a church, we want to imitate that because if we're going to imitate someone, Jesus is probably a good example And so for us, this is why next week we're actually hosting an event called Generosity Feeds. And so week one, CT talked about worship and how we need to spend time with God on a regular basis. And that includes Sunday mornings, but it also includes time in prayer and reading our Bible and time showing God that we believe he is worthy. This week, we're going to talk about community in a few minutes. But next week, instead of just talking about meeting the needs and engaging our city, we're actually doing it. So instead of a normal service here with worship and preaching, we're actually going to set up tables and we're going to package 10,000 meals for students who are food insecure in Frederick County. And some of the meals will be given to Blessings in a backpack so they can be distributed to one of the 17 schools that they support. There will be meals that go right here to West Frederick Middle School. There's actually a food pantry right below the lobby that we're going to fill up so kids can go and grab food for the weekends that they need extra or the weekends that are long or anytime they feel like they don't know where their next meal is coming from. And all of our additional meals will end up at the Frederick Rescue Mission as we continue to try and support their food distribution program. And so we've been talking about it for a long time, and if you haven't signed up yet, sign up, because you're not going to want to miss this. And to be honest, you have friends and neighbors and coworkers who would want to be a part of this as well. And I know it's unconventional to do this event instead of having a worship service. In fact, the company that's helping us put on the event kept trying to convince us to do it on a Saturday instead. 
But the reason why we're doing this on a Sunday is because many of us are disenchanted with the church because we believe talk is cheap. And that's true. Talk is cheap. So let's spend time meeting the needs in our city and not just talking about it. I could get up here and preach a whole sermon about why we should do it, but let's just do it. Let's just do it as a church and do it as a community. And so for us, we want this to be a regular part of our rhythm, to be engaging the city as a regular part of what we do to the point where we would not do this so that we could actually serve. Right now, we have about 30 spots left, and so they're going to fill up fast after church. If you head to the lobby, you can sign up on the iPads, or if you follow us on Facebook, the link was posted on Friday. It'll be posted again on Monday. It starts at 1030. Kids can help, and you'll be home for kickoff. So really, it's church. We're just actually doing the church, not just talking about being the church, right? So let's jump in, and we're going to read the rest of the main story from Luke that we're working through for this series. And so Luke 6 is where we are, starting in verse 12. It says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And so in this moment of his life, Jesus is at the very beginning of his public ministry. It's just about to ramp up. But before he does so, he actually pauses to spend the whole night praying to God. And what he's doing is he's showing that he believes that God is worthy of his time. He's showing that God is worthy of being a priority. He's showing that God is worthy of hearing and caring for the things that are on Jesus' heart. And the story continues. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called a zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, this is really important, and because this is when Jesus actually chooses the 12 people that are going to be his closest and most influential followers. And so sometimes we read that stuff and we feel like it's just names, but these aren't just names. These are the people, the reason why the church still exists today, because they went out after Jesus died and resurrected, and they made this thing happen. But these people weren't just his followers, and they weren't just his disciples. They ended up being his closest friends. These are the people who gave up everything to follow him. This is his community. In fact, Jesus goes a step further later on, and he will call them his brothers. This is his family. And so what we see is Jesus spends time with God, then with his community, all of this before heading out to teach and heal and bring hope to people who are far from God. It says he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him, and he was healing them all. And this is how Jesus lived his life, in a consistent rhythm of time with God and time in community and time with people who needed to hear the good news that Jesus came to bring. This is how he lived. This was the regular rhythm of the way he did things. This is how he started his earthly ministry. It's also how he ended it. We see later in Matthew 26 that in the moments before Jesus is arrested and crucified that he steps away to pray to God. But once he's done praying to God, he goes to his disciples. And then Jesus enacts the ultimate act of love when he gives his life up on a cross that all people can have the chance to experience grace and forgiveness and freedom. And so today we're going to talk about the middle piece of this. and We're going to talk about collective community and our need to be in meaningful relationships with other people because we are not created to do life alone. A few years ago, I got to officiate my sister's wedding. And when we were going over the sermon, she told me that it had to be perfect and completely original. If you know my sister, that makes sense. She's a younger sister, tells me what to do. <laughs> so I promised her that it would be completely original to her. But to be honest, when I do weddings, I actually always open every wedding the same way. 
Side note, if you're planning on getting married and have wondered if I would do your wedding, here's a glimpse of what it would look like. I don't know if that's good or not. So this is how I start all weddings. Usually I'll start with a story. So for Jennifer and David, I shared about the first time they met when they were in middle school. Jennifer was wearing a t-shirt with Grover from Sesame Street and he was surfing. And David walked up to her and said, cool shirt. To which Jennifer responded, uh, thanks. It was love at first sight. And usually what I do after that, after I tell the story, I'll share from Genesis 2. And I'll say, God created light and saw that it was good. God created the sky and land and the seas and saw that it was good. God created vegetation and plants and saw that it was good. God created the sun, the moon, and the stars and saw that it was good. God created the birds and the sea animals and saw that it was good. God created the creature of the dry land and saw that it was good. But in Genesis, and then in Genesis 2, 7, it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Then we have this moment for the first time where God paused and saw something he created and said, this is, this is not good. In Genesis 2, 18, it says, The Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And so for me, I start every single wedding that way, not because I'm lazy, but because the idea that God realized that something wasn't good when man was alone is a really big deal. In fact, think about it this way. Adam being alone is the first problem that ever occurred in the world. It's the first problem that we ever see. It's the first problem to ever exist. Let that sink in for a moment and seriously think about it. Before the fall of man, before sin entered into the world, before pain and brokenness existed, before anything bad had happened, God realized something wasn't good, and it was the fact that Adam was all alone. Well, I tend to talk about this at weddings. Genesis 2.18 isn't about marriage. God wasn't upset that Adam didn't have a spouse. God was upset because he was designed to be in a relationship with God and with other people. We weren't meant to do life alone. And so if you're single, you need to lean in a little bit right now and listen to what I'm saying. You not being married is not a problem. You might think it is, and God certainly cares about your burdens, so if that burdens you, it matters to him. And there isn't anything wrong with desiring to be a loving and godly husband or wife, but God doesn't look at your ringless finger and say, not good. God doesn't look at single guys and girls and think, not good. You being single is not a bad thing. I understand it might be weird hearing that in a church because the church has done a pretty crappy job when it comes to letting people be single. In fact, my brother-in-law hears it all the time in the church he attends in Tennessee. They always ask him, why aren't you married? Don't you want to be married? People even say, God wants you to be married. But God is less concerned about you being married and more concerned about whether or not you are alone and have community around you. In July, Psychology Today put out an article calling loneliness an epidemic. They had found that loneliness has been associated with cardiovascular problems and premature death. Lonelier individuals are less likely to achieve quality sleep. Lonely individuals experience reductions in reasoning and creativity. In addition to these reduced abilities, loneliness affects workplace productivity as lonely individuals report less job satisfaction and are more likely to face unemployment. Loneliness is commonly correlated with mental health concerns such as anxiety, depression, and suicide. And similarly, loneliness is often associated with poor coping mechanisms such as compulsive technologies, smoking, and self-harm. When you read those things, it's almost as if God, the creator of the universe, knew a thing or two about people. It's no surprise that later we find out that God created people and God created this world in a very specific way to function in the best way possible, and loneliness was not part of it. It's no surprise that we read this and we learn that that's why God wanted us to be in community. And Jesus recognizes this. 
Jesus knows that he can't do life alone. Jesus knows that he has to have community. This is why he spends so much time with his disciples. Yes, he's teaching them, and the goal was one day that he would die and resurrect, and they would go on and start the church, but he was also sharing meals with them. He was laughing with them. He was crying with them. When one of Jesus' closest friends, Lazarus, is dead, he weeps, but he weeps in the company of friends. And sure, he went to the cross by himself, but at the feet of the cross were multiple people that were his closest community. This idea of being in community is seen throughout the entire Bible. It's a theme throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's actually a book called Ecclesiastes. And it's written by King Solomon, who was the son of King David, who slayed Goliath. And Solomon ruled for over 40 years. And one night, God comes to Solomon, and God says, ask for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And so here he is in this moment, and God comes and says, I'll give you anything you want in the world, whatever it is, ask for it. And he asks for wisdom which proves he was already a wise person. That's not what I would ask for. There are a lot of other things first. Redskins, Super Bowl, Orioles, World Series, just something along those lines, please, dear God. But Solomon actually asks for wisdom, and so God gives it to him. Outside of Jesus, Solomon is the wisest person to ever live. And so Solomon took that wisdom and what he learned, and he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is essentially 11 chapters of Solomon writing down everything in life that left him unfulfilled. See, Solomon had money. He was a king. He had land. He actually had multiple wives. That's a story for another time. But Solomon had everything that you would want from the worldly perspective. But at the end of his life, he realized that none of those things brought him purpose or joy. So he wrote Ecclesiastes to spare future generations the suffering and misery of seeking after foolish, meaningless, materialistic emptiness and after wisdom by discovering truth and seeking after God. It's like his final note for people for years to come. It's his final note to us. It's almost a love letter saying, listen, I'm going to tell you, avoid all these things because this is the life that you actually want to live. And so here's what he writes in Ecclesiastes 4 about being alone. Ecclesiastes 4, 7, he says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken." And so Solomon, through his endless wisdom, has learned that doing life alone is a miserable business, that we should actually have pity or compassion on people who fall and don't have someone else in their life to pick them back up. And he concludes by taking a step further, saying, hey, two is good, but three is even better. Like, community shouldn't just be two people. It should be more than that. And it's miserable to do life alone. At the end of my sophomore and junior year in college, a small group of my friends decided that they wanted to go camping. Now, I don't camp. In fact, I hate camping. Uh, I don't understand why people decide to sleep on the ground when they have beds at home. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So to further show how much I don't like camping and how bad I am at camping, I remember we were going to Walmart to get all of our supplies, and I went to get napkins, and the other guys with me made fun of me because apparently you don't bring napkins when you go camping. And so, yeah, I don't get it. Then we're in line, actually reached for hand sanitizer. My friend Curtis slapped it out of my hand because apparently you don't worry about hygiene when there's no running water. It's just disgusting the whole way through. Like I said, don't like camping. doesn't make any sense to me. But even though I hate camping, I still went. And when we got there, we set up our tent right on Lake Watauga. 
We started a huge fire. We chopped down a tree because we wanted to show nature that we're in charge. Uh, and it was actually, it was kind of fun. Like we grilled some steak. We hung out for a bit. Then around 2 a.m., we decided to get some sleep. As we got ready for bed, I looked around and realized that the three other guys brought sleeping bags and I brought a twin comforter. <laughs> I know, told you. I figured it was spring in Tennessee. How bad could it be? After, <laughs> some of you were like, you're an idiot. <laughs> a few hours into the middle of the night, I woke up because I was freezing. The fire died down. We were right off the lake, so there's like this constant cool breeze coming through. It was legitimately the coldest I've ever been in my life. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is how I die. <laughs> I'm going to freeze to death. The guy's going to wake up next to my frozen corpse the next morning, tell Ray I love her. This is it. And then as I'm sitting there, I remembered what Bear Grylls had taught me. Right? At this point, I was obsessed with a show called Man vs. Wild, and this was a television show where Bear Grylls would put himself in like, ridiculous situations and teach you how to survive them. And so I watched religiously so that if I was ever in a situation where survival was key, I would live. And so I knew how to survive living in the Andes Mountains, how to survive a plane crash in a desert, how to stay alive when skydiving and my parachute lands on a glacier. Any scenario, I was ready. And I remember there was an episode when he was in Antarctica and he was actually battling hypothermia, and he said that the best thing to do is to snuggle someone. So there I was, freezing to the point of pain, unable to fall asleep, and Bear Grylls keeps playing over and over my head, telling me body heat is the best way to stop from hypothermia. And so I began to debate at 2 o'clock in the morning whether or not I should spoon my best friend. <laughs> it felt like it was either that or die, and I didn't really want to cuddle my friends, but I was cold, and desperate times call for desperate measures. But for the sake of embarrassment and freaking out my friends, I just froze through the night. I actually moved myself further away. We were going camping to rough it and cook steak on a fire, not cuddle each other. So I just froze. It was terrible. I'll never go camping again, I promise. But we know that what King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes is true. Like we know when he says, how can one keep warm alone? If you're married, you get this because sleeping in a bed with somebody else is like a furnace every single night. And so the camping story, it's funny, but there are countless times in my life when I've needed someone to pick me back up because I've fallen, when I needed friends to push me through the peaks and valleys of life. This is why Ray and I asked so many of our friends to move to Frederick with us to start this church because we knew that it was going to be hard. We knew that the highs would be high and the lows would be painfully and exhaustingly low. And we knew that we couldn't do it without people that would be here to pick us up, to help us figure out what's next, to be our community. I mean, think about the hardest things in your own life, when you lost a job or had a new job trans transition, when your kids moved away and went to college, when you struggled to get pregnant, when you heard that the diagnosis was cancer, when you weren't sure if your marriage was going to make it. If you think about how you got through those times, I can guarantee you that it wasn't done solo. That there was moments, and there was a moment where you had family or friends who carried you through some of the hardest times in your life. Because it's not good for us to be alone. This is one of the reasons why we started this church. One of our goals as a church is to be a safe community where people don't have to fall down and pick themselves back up. We want to be a community where people can bring their brokenness and pain and baggage and skepticism and be welcomed with open arms. A community where people aren't defined by their past mistakes or their present failures. We want to be a community where you can come as you are, you can belong before you believe. That's why we started this church. If you showed up today because you realize that the way you were doing life is meaningless or you realize that you are alone and don't want to be that way anymore, or you're searching for the grace and love of God, or you just want to snuggle because you're cold, welcome home. 
Collective was started for you, so you don't have to do life alone. There are people here who will pick you up when you fall, so you don't have to take a step back and look at your life and think something's wrong. And so here's the thing. If you get one thing from this series, if there's one takeaway, it's this. Time with God, time in community, and time engaging and loving others are not three options. It isn't a pick and choose situations or a best two out of three. Jesus didn't say, pick one of these things and ignore the other two. In fact, Jesus simply told people, follow my lead, and that's what he did. So Jesus told his disciples, this is how you're supposed to live your life, and he lived in these three rhythms. And so I recognize some of you are feeling this tension because you love coming on Sunday mornings, you love worship, you love taking communion, you might even love the free Starbucks, but you want to be anonymous because you're afraid of being in community. You're afraid because there are some things in your past that you aren't proud of. You're afraid because you feel like you might be too old to fit in or you're too young to have a voice. You're afraid because you're struggling right now. You're struggling with doubts. You're struggling with addiction. You might just be struggling with life. You're afraid because in order to be in community, and we're talking about real community, not Facebook community where we all pretend to have 100 friends, but we all secretly judge them and resent them while being their friends. But you're afraid because in order to be in real community, you might have to be a little bit vulnerable. You might have to take your walls down a bit. You might have to say no to some of the activities that you enjoy so you can create space for people. And you're right, that's hard. It's so hard to do that, but it's worth it because we were designed to live in community. And so for those of you who have been coming for a while or you feel like you're ready to take that step, the application is this, join a collective. Collectives are small groups that meet every week. We eat and then we read the Bible. And specifically, we read the main verses from the sermons on Sunday and then we discuss. And the reason why we do this is because whether or not this is your church home or you end up going somewhere else, you're visiting with someone, you should never go to a church, listen to a preacher preach and go, okay, I'm going to go do that now, right? You should always go home, read it for yourself, find a safe place to ask questions, find people to be around you who can wrestle with these things. Don't take my word for it read scripture and apply it. And the best way to do that is surrounded by other people. And so that's what we try to do every week. And the coolest thing about these groups is that not everyone thinks the same way. Not everyone has the same story. In fact, not everyone believes the same thing. And that's what makes this community great. We have seven groups. They meet all over Frederick on multiple nights. We have an early group that meets at 5.30. We have a late night group that meets at Attaboy at 8.30. We drink beer and we talk about God. Yep, that's what we do. If you don't like that, this church is going to be weird for you for a very long time. <laughs> we even have a group for students. And so here's the thing. I'm not doing this. We didn't write this sermon, and I didn't get up here, so it's like, I need to convince people to get in groups. Please get in groups. The reality is we have about 50% of our adults that are regularly in groups. That's 17% higher than most churches. That's better than most churches. It's better than most churches anywhere around here, specifically in the Northeast area. In fact, last week we had record attendance. We had 91 people in our small groups last week, which is incredible. Sure, Tabby, thank you. <laughs> I feel like Tabby claps a lot and people think I pay her to clap. I don't, she's genuinely that happy. But that's a big deal. And the reality is the reason why we're talking about this is because that 91 and that 50%, it's just not good enough. Because every single person here was designed the same way to be in community with other people. You were not meant to do life alone. You are not meant to live in solitude. And you have every opportunity to be in that type of community in a safe place where you can work through your junk or you talk about God or you can just show up and eat good food and not talk because the food is great. And that's okay. So for those of you who are in that place where you need to take that step or you're wrestling with that tension, my challenge is just do it. 
just show up, check it out. What's the worst that could happen? After church, head out to the lobby and sign up on our iPad or you can check the box off on the connection card and we'll follow up with you and we'll help you find the right place. And I know for a lot of you, you have excuses for not being in a group. I'm just gonna call you out. You have excuses. You think you're too busy, your work schedule, distance, blah, blah, blah. You have a million things. But the reality is you know deep down inside that you are created to be in a relationship with other people. You can feel it. It's the reason why when you're alone or you have those moments, something feels off. It's the reason why when you're not hanging out with your friends or you miss out on opportunities or when you're new to an area, it just doesn't feel right. And it's because you were designed and created to be in a relationship with other people. And you need to start praying that those barriers and obstacles get removed so that you can have the courage to take that step. One more thing about collectives. If you are a parent of a middle schooler or a high schooler, you should be do, doing everything you can to get your kids to check out the youth collective. If your desire is that your children grow up knowing that God loves them, that they grow up active in a church, that's when it starts. It starts right now when they're in middle school and high school. In fact, studies have proven that the more our students are able to be in a small group and serve in a church alongside adults who love Jesus, the better the chances of them keeping their faith as they move into adulthood. And so for you, if you are a parent of those people, you need to feel pressure today that you need to get them to this group. Because if your desire is for them to love Jesus and to get to college and not completely sprint in the other direction, it starts when they're younger. They can't make it a priority, but you can. Another great way to be in community is joining the team here at Collective. The team is what we call the group of people that make Collective happen. They serve here on Sunday mornings. For me personally, Sundays are one of my favorite times of the week because I get to see so many of the people that I love. Would I rather see them over dinner or a beer? Absolutely, but life is busy. And I know that on Sunday morning, I spend time with them doing something that is meaningful and doing something that is fun. And so we're two weeks away from adding a second service. And if you've looked for that opportunity, you're waiting for that chance to take that next step, right now is a great time to do that. Join the team and help us make this happen. But ultimately the benefit of that is you get to serve on Sunday, you get to see life change, but you are in a strong community where you have purpose. And so my point is this, my, my goal is to get you guys to take a step. If none of you do it, that's on you, right? So ultimately, my, my role and my, my hope is that we create this space for you. But here's the thing. It is our job as a church to create space for you to imitate Jesus. It's not about numbers. It's not about getting people plugged in so we can say we have more people. It's about imitating Jesus' life so that we can be free and so we can have value and so we can have purpose and so we can feel the freedom that he offers us. And so for Collective, we're going to create space for you to mirror the rhythms of worship, community, and engagement, but we're not going to make you do it. That's on you. We're going to create the space, but you have every right, and you can make all the decisions you want to either make these things a priority or not. You can keep coming here and not do the other two things. That's your decision. Just know that those spaces exist. Now, some of you are ready to move forward, but you're wondering where to start. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've not put your faith in Jesus yet, here, the this is the place to start. When Jesus began his public ministry, meaning when he officially began intentionally seeking and saving lost people, the first thing he did was get baptized. And Jesus didn't need to do that. He was fully God, but he wanted to show that his relationship with God was a priority. And so Jesus was baptized, and then he was tempted by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness. As soon as he gets out of that, he starts his ministry. He calls his disciples he starts healing people. He starts showing forgiveness and offering new life to people. And so for you, if you've never made that decision, this is where you start. Because worship, community, engagement will never make complete sense if you've never made Jesus the leader of your life. So for you, if you are in that place, the first step to do is to repent. 
Repent means to turn away, to actually change your mind about something. And the idea is this, you are changing your mind about you being the leader of your life and you thinking you know how to do the best ways and you're submitting to God saying, okay, you can lead me. You show me the right ways. So you repent and then you get baptized, which means to be immersed in water and it represents the burial of your old self and the raising up of a new, new self. So for you, that's where you start. This morning we have the trough set up, but we don't actually have anyone getting baptized during service. I know that's weird. What we did was we actually celebrated the baptism of Olivia Yankoe before church this morning. And so I think we have a picture of that. So Olivia is in fourth grade, and almost a year ago, she approached me about taking this step. And so I know some of you are wondering why we didn't do it during church. And one of the reasons is because Olivia is super shy. Like, when I told her, like, would you do it on stage? She's like, no, not interested in following Jesus anymore. Don't want to be in front of a bunch of strangers. But the biggest, reason, uh, the biggest reason why we did it is because every single Sunday, there's a group of people that serve back in collective kids that give up their opportunity to be in this service, right? Right now with one service, they choose to show up early so that they can focus on the future. Because if we're being honest, those kids are the future. Those kids are the people who are going to change the world someday. And if we're being honest, hopefully one day they fix it and fix it soon. And so, <laughs> that's good. So for us, what we wanted to do is we wanted to give the collective kids team an opportunity to witness this and be a part of this with Olivia. And so we decided to do it before church so that the whole kids team could be there because we wanted her to be surrounded by her community. Because as a fourth grader, as she gets older, she needs to recognize that there's a church full of people that love her and care for her, want to pray for her, want to serve alongside her. And for Olivia, being so young, this is a catalytic moment. This is the starting point of what we hope and pray is a lifelong relationship with Jesus, and at this church, we're gonna do everything we can to make sure that happens. But for a fourth grader, that's easy. And for some of you, you're thinking it's too late to start or too late to start over, but that's just not true. It's not too late to start. It's not too late to start over. Take a step and begin there. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you say that Jesus is the leader of your life, then my challenge to you is very simple. Follow him, let him lead. He set the example. You just have to trust that what he did is best for you and best for your life and best for your relationships and best for your career. Because Jesus teaches us that it's not good for people to be alone. We're designed to be in meaningful and authentic relationships and Jesus showed us how to do that. And so it's very simple and the series is very simple. It's this, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the challenge is take a step, start following him. Get, in, get plugged in, start bumping shoulders with other people and learn what it's like to follow him. Watch other people. But if you are a follower of Jesus and you say that you've been following him for a long time, it really is as simple as these are three things that he did. So what's stopping you? What's stopping you from taking that step? What's stopping you from joining a community? What's stopping you from being vulnerable? What's stopping you from being surrounded by real and authentic people who want what's best for you? Here's the thing. We know this is tough. And so, in fact, in two weeks uh, after Generosity Feeds, we're starting a brand new series that's called Bad Blood. And it's three weeks on how to have the best relationship possible. And so the first week, we're going to talk about starting healthy relationships. The second week, we're going to talk about maintaining healthy relationships. And the third week, the final week in October, we're actually going to talk about ending toxic relationships. And for most of you, the reason why you struggle to be in community is because you don't know how to do those three things. The good news is this. Jesus taught us how to do it. 
And so take a step, be in community, surround yourself with other people so you don't have to do this alone, so you don't have to carry your burdens alone, so you don't have to carry the weight of life alone, because there are people in this church that want to carry those with you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much um, that you want us to be in a relationship with other people, but God, ultimately it starts with our relationship with you. God, that you love us so much and you care for us so much that it starts with you sending your son so he can live and be in a living relationship, in a real relationship with us, and then later he would die so that we can experience grace and truth and life. And so God, I just pray today, it's a really easy uh, topic, it's a really easy sermon to say, ah, that was okay, I'm not gonna take a step, let me move on. But God, I just pray for the people that are wrestling or that are in this place, that they just take a step to join a community today. God, they take a step in being vulnerable. They take a step in being honest. And they take a step in maybe loving and caring for other people as well. God, we're thankful that we don't have to do life alone. God, that the weight that we feel and the tension that we feel and the pain that we feel and the brokenness that we feel is not something that we can manage by ourselves, but we don't have to. And so, God, I just pray today that people have courage. They have courage to take a step. And take a step to join a community, take a step to submit their life fully to you. But ultimately, God, that we don't become a church where we just kind of hang out a bunch on Sunday mornings and think that's good enough because a relationship with you is worth so much more and it's worth more of our time and our ability. God, we thank you for the ways that you love us and care for us. And we pray these things in your name, amen.